What's up, fight fans? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Thursday, October 24th, 2019. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my lovely partner, Miss Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy Thursday. Hello, Natalie Z. Happy Thursday. <laughs> so... Yeah, go, go for it. You know what? Uh, okay, so I wake up this morning and I knew Connor was going to talk to the people in Russia. I did not expect him to drop the bomb. And so it's been good. But honestly, I texted you and I was like, I need some help because there's not a lot outside of Boston and Bellator to talk about. And, you know, sometimes I like to for us to talk about more just, okay, here's the fight. Who's going to win? Here's the fight. You know, sometimes it's nice to talk about what's going on in the universe. And in the last 24 hours, we've gotten so much stuff that we actually had to cut out a bunch of stuff. So what was your reaction to everything just in the last day or so? Yeah, it was funny because I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, suggest this topic and this topic. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I don't need to do anything. Like it's just building itself out. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, everyone kept making news for us. So thank you. I know. It just, oh, takes, just take, takes our job away. Just nice yeah. and easy. But I'm not complaining. It really does help. No, but um, so guys, a very packed show. Obviously, we're going to talk about a lot of Boston. That was a great card. There's been plenty of news to talk about. We are going to talk about Connor. We are going to talk about Greg, um, UFC 245. And there's, you know, very stacked weekend. There's two Bellator cards plus UFC. We'll touch on the major stuff. We'll give our predictions. So a lot going on. So buckle in. We're going to have a great show. Natalie, let's go back to Boston. One of the better ESPN cards, in my opinion. Um, they really have had a great two-week run with Tampa and Boston, if you ask me. I think it's been a great... Um, it's just been a great weekend of MMA and UFC, so I really enjoyed it. Let's start with the main event. Chris Weidman, Dominic Reyes. Short fight. I think that if you're Dominic Reyes, this is about as good as you were going to get short of doing a flying knee or something. He proved he could defend Weidman's wrestling, which was huge in terms of developing him and giving him credit as a threat in the title picture. And he scored a great first round knockout. The step back, left hand, timed it perfectly, very clean. Weidman was hurt. He really didn't need too much. I think the ref had a great stoppage. You could tell Weidman was only going to take more unanswered shots. So in terms of Dominic Reyes, he was never going to do some backflip KO of a guy like a Johnny Walker or something. So I think this was about as good as a result as you could have asked for. What were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, it was actually a really impressive you know, finish and a great addition to his highlight reel. My main reaction was, you know, Weidman got owned, and it's exactly what I feared would happen with, like, this really high-stakes move up to 205. He didn't need a gimme. You know, he's he's Weidman. He's a former champion. Like, you don't have to throw him a softball, but, like, you also don't have to throw him a high fastball, and that's what Dominic Reyes was. So, you know, anyone in the top five, I think, is a tough debut, debut for someone, even with Weidman's resume yeah that's tough man it's just a lot of knockouts to have to see him you know eat or you know heavy shots like that 
He says he'll be back. And if so, I hope they give him, um, you know, a little less severe competition than Dominic Reyes. I mean, you're, you're throwing him in there with someone who's on the cusp of getting a title shot. And uh, with the move up and weight, they look so different size-wise. It was tough to see. It was. You know, th- there are no gimme fights, especially at the high level, and especially when you're named like Weidman. I would argue that in terms of matchmaking, you know, I respect as a warrior, he's ready to jump back into the deep end. But when you look at his layoffs each time, uh, I want to say disservice to yourself. I know as a competitor, he feels he can compete with Musasi and Reyes and Jacare and all these guys that he fought and everything and so on and so forth. So I get that on that point, but I almost feel like almost matchmaking-wise, stylistically, if that was just a decision. But once again, these guys take the fights knowing they can win, but the numbers speak for themselves. It hasn't been a great time for Chris Weidman. Let me ask you real quick. Do you think that 205 is the best spot for him, or do you think he should reconsider trying to make 185 work? No, I think 205 is fine. That's where he should be now. He's older. He looked... Okay, last week when we talked, I said I was always concerned about how Weidman looked in the in the eyes um, with these in his last fights, and this time watching him do media day, he looked great. His face looked filled out. He looked completely lucid, and so I thought, all right, so this is really more maybe a weight cut thing that was making him look a little uh, beleaguered. So I think he looked great. He said he felt great. I'm I'm fine with seeing him stick at 205. Stick to 205. I don't want him to go back down. And why put your body through all that? You're already going to be eating shots to the head, to the to everywhere else. You know, be as healthy as you can, considering your job is is face punching. So I want him to stick to 205 if he chooses to stick around at all. Just um just ramp him up a little bit. You know, I yeah I get what you're saying. Of course, you're a fighter. You're a former champ. You don't want to. Uh, a sissy fight, you want to get right in there and prove that you've got what it takes. But let's let's just, you know, crawl before we walk here. I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's no uh, – there shouldn't be any stigma attached to that. He's still fighting in the UFC. He's still a top fighter in the whole world. So stick to 205 with a little bit, uh, a little bit of a softer, uh, um, you know, next fight out. Gotcha. Now let's talk about Dominic Reyes. Obviously, the big question on this is, did that set him up for John Jones? Let's set the stage a little bit. So Reyes just got a first-round knockout. Very beautiful, great highlight. Johnny Walker is fighting next Saturday with Corey Anderson. Corey has, you know, had that confrontation with Jones. Johnny Walker is, you know, he's kind of like, you know, Israel Adesanya. Hasn't been around long, but man, he just knows how to get people to watch. He's exciting. That's there. Jan Blahovich is fighting Jacare um, before the month is out of November. So by December, all of these guys will have fought. All of these guys, if they win, have a great argument for the title. John Jones has, you know, decided he wants to talk to the fans a lot on Twitter over the last 24 hours and really just said a lot of stuff that's very interesting. He said that he feels like that big money fight is not there for Reyes, for him versus Reyes, Walker, Anderson, whomever. I don't disagree with him on that point. If you're talking about selling a blockbuster big pay-per-view, 
you know, I'm not going to lie. You're having, you have a lot of guys who it's not necessarily that they fought and gone on a crazy win streak. It's more by process of elimination. This is the next great threat because he's already fought and defeated everybody. However, the, the idea that we're kind of going to be waiting for John Jones, that to me is the big question. So let me toss it to you. When you look at the title picture, what are your thoughts on what's going on and what you think we'll see next? Um, I don't know what John Jones, sometimes he's just, I feel like he just does, you know, post these messages to get people riled up and he's probably chuckling at every response that people throw. I don't believe he's not intrigued by Dominic Reyes or Johnny Walker or Jan Blahova. It's like, you can't not, it, it's silly to, to look at their fight, their highlights and not think, man, there's a challenge there, especially with Johnny Walker being so creative and fun. He's the guy I'm always rooting for. But Dominic Reyes and Jan, like, those are real deals. And he, he had a tough fight against Santos. So I, for me, it's silly to go around saying he's not excited by any of these contenders at 205. If he wants time off, then say so. Just be like, ah, you know what? I don't want to fight right now. I'm going to take some time off. If he really does want a bigger name, then I ask myself, what's the point of being champion? Because you should want to line him up and knock him down if you're the champion, right? But if that's not your MO anymore, which is fine. I say vacate the belt and just go after those big fights. Like there's no shame in that at all. It's the fight business. Go make your money. And everyone would still tune in to see you fight. They don't really care if there's a belt on the line, especially if you're getting what you want. Fans are getting what they want. But, I, you know, what I don't like is him dismissing the, the contenders in his division and potentially sitting out. Now, the UFC doesn't mess around either, so they'll probably make an interim belt. But then that's not fair to the contenders who should be able to fight for the legitimate belt. So we'll see how it plays out, but I don't, I don't like uh, where it's heading. I guess my thing is, if you're John Jones, um, I'll, I'll play this card real quick. If he is serious about, you know what, everybody is high risk, low reward because of the name value for me. All right, if you're really serious about that, then he's a guy who's had over the last few years several layoffs for reasons that I don't need to go into, but we all know why. So to me, the idea that like, oh, I'm not going to fight because of the this and that, I almost feel like, well, isn't that just counterproductive at this stage of your career? Um, you know, v very honestly, uh, how many more fights does John Jones really expect to do? Um, and, you know, not to say he's an old guy, but at a certain point, you know, respectfully, he has already come close to sweeping the table once. At this point, you know, you could argue he's done it already and that the guys still, you know, at any other division would require or not require, but you would say you want more seasoning out of your title challengers, right? We've seen that with plenty of guys. So for me, with John Jones saying that, I'm almost a little, I'm very confused because I'm like, wouldn't it be better for you to take these guys out now? make money, make up for lost time, make up for the layoffs a little bit. And then, you know, hey, maybe there's a big money fight down the line. So in terms of the layoff, that confuses me. I think that UFC will honestly just make a fight. I do believe, um, for me, in my heart, I do believe that a lot of this is just a little bit of smoke and mirrors. I think at the end of the day, he's going to look at the Reyes knockout. We're going to see what happens with Corey and Johnny. And from there, we're going to have a top contender. Jan Blahovic is kind of always the dark horse. He's right there. But 
I think the fact that he didn't get Reyes and he didn't get Johnny Walker and stuff like that, Corey Anderson, that's kind of showing that maybe UFC doesn't feel like he's got that it factor that they want to make him a champion or that they want they feel like he can hold up that side of the pay-per-view with John Jones. So that would be my one question about it, but I think that we're going to see this situation play out and we're going to go from there, but a lot of the comments are something. Also, can I tell you something, Natalie? Yeah. They're talking, you know, you have Adesanya who's out there and obviously their Twitter beef is one of the more entertaining ones to watch as a fan, if I'm being honest. But for me, when you talk about it, you talk about John Jones, let's say he fights Reyes, uh, Walker, Anderson, you know, or maybe, you know, maybe Jan, just three guys by the end of 2020. You have Arasanya, possibly beat Paulo Costa, Mary J- Jared Cannonier, maybe a rematch with Kelvin Gastelum. And then you talk about Raiders Stadium 2021, Arasanya moving up to fight John. I'm sorry, but that is one of the biggest fights you could have because I think more than anything, Adesanya is the best talker that has taken aim at John Jones since Chelsunin. And the difference is Adesanya, very bluntly, has more abilities and is more exciting than Chael. I really feel like, you know what, you really want to make this fight happen, show you're still the man at 205 and make the Adesanya fight bigger. Put the pressure on both of you guys to make a super fight. That's what I'd really like to see. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. But for some reason, you know, unless unless Jones has a bigger plan, like the a longer um, a longer con that he's trying to pull, he's not he's not seeing what's right in front of him. Which is, yeah, if you want a big money fight, then then have a conversation, go back and forth, and yeah, show that you're that you are really so dominant that at a certain point you can say like, look, I already beat everybody in my division twice and you can keep making money while you're doing that. And then you can do your big fights where you're going to like, you know, blow up pay-per-view numbers. And, you know, it's funny when you see like the top pay-per-view fights in um, UFC history, like 90% of them is Conor McGregor still. So like, Hey, John Jones, if you're really such a big name, then go, go prove it. No, I completely agree. And I think that part of that is just he's kind of a victim of his own success in that way. And that, let's be honest, anyone who says anything, you know, it's John Jones. It's hard to be a believer of somebody finally, you know, being the guy to end the run, which is the same with a lot of guys. You know, people felt that way about Demetrius and, uh, you know, GSP Anderson Silva for for a lot of good reasons. Um, I think that that's just it. And I think that because John, even though you would say, I'd say he's a heel in terms of the character and how, um, you know, over the last couple years, he's not really the big entertainer on the mic. A lot of his stuff is just what he's able to do in the cage. And, you know, when you're talking about big numbers, right, that's one of the ingredients is getting people invested, not just in the skills, but, you know, getting fired up to watch you. And I think that when you're so dominant, like John, it's harder because we think less of the contenders because he's been so dominant. And, you know, we feel like he, the, he's already taken out the biggest threats. But we will definitely keep an eye on it next week. We will revisit the conversation, obviously, with Johnny Walker and Corey Anderson fighting. So we'll be, you know, we are not done talking about John Jones for a while. It's going to be coming up a lot. 
Um, the rest of the card, though, uh, Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens. I loved it. I feel like you could feel the extra heat in that fight. I think Yair looked fantastic. I think Jeremy looked fantastic. Fun fight. I didn't disagree with the decision. I felt like Yair won the first two, avoided taking too much damage in the third, even though he lost it. Just a great fight. What were your thoughts? Yeah, damn, man. The, Yair came out with a vengeance. I, I can't remember the last time I saw a fighter come out so aggressively in the first round. I mean, I guess you could. we've seen it, but usually it ends quickly. Like, yep. you know, Masvidal Askren, right? Came out with the knee and that was it. Was all sure. But Yair was like hurling ferocious kicks at Stevens. It hurt to watch that. And intent. He was intent on destruction. He really wanted to send a message to Stevens, to the division, to the UFC, to the fans, you know, and to make up for for not coming, not being able to come through uh, in Mexico, in his hometown. So kudos to Stevens. He hung in there and he didn't back down, which, you know, of course, Stevens never does. So I'm not surprised. I would have been terrified, man. Those, he was coming at him so hard, whipping his, his legs at Stevens, firing every limb. It was an exciting fight. I didn't expect that. I knew there was going to be a lot of heat, but I didn't expect that. He turned it up hard, and uh, it was a heck of a fight. No, they both came to battle. You know, there's it's a match. It's a chess match. Those two came to battle. You could tell the way Yair came out, flying kick right off the bat, just yeah, beautiful yeah. stuff. A lot of, a lot of fun. Um, for Yair, I wouldn't say title shot next, but I feel like he's kind of put the ball in uh, Zabit's court in a couple weeks to maybe set up that fight. I really feel like. Now Yair has caught back up to Zabit, if you ask me. I think that was the one he needed. I know that Zabit's going to look like the next contender after Calvin uh, Cater, Calvin Qatar. I feel like if Korean Zombie beats Brian Ortega, he secures a title shot against uh, a Max Holloway if Max beats Volkanovski in December. Just because it's new, the name value, the history behind him, the knockouts that he's recorded. But I feel like if Zabit gets by Calvin, I think that Yair and Zabit is a title eliminator in 2020. What about you? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it, it just makes perfect sense. They're super exciting. They have very distinct, like apart from general fan bases, they're from regions that also provide like very distinct and powerful fan bases within their own right. And it, it just makes it just makes perfect sense. And then when you look at who they would be facing max like that's a that's a big fight either way you go no i'm with you It, it would be really good um let me toss the next one to you macy barber with that first round knockout of jillian robertson what were your thoughts on that one yeah she she came out slugging it was pretty awesome to see you know not specifically her but anyone who comes out like that like yeah you're just I'm going to blitz you and, you know, you keep up for as long as you can. And Jillian Robertson kind of shelled up and that was enough to have the fight called. And fair enough. I mean, she was, she wasn't, she didn't have any answers to that onslaught. Uh, What I do see though, is that style of fighting, that brawler slugger, like arm swinging style, eventually it gets figured out or it gets countered, it gets neutralized. So, you know, maybe Barber used that approach because she knew it would work. 
but um, I think that won't work with everybody, especially as she climbs the uh, the ladder there. I mean, uh, I'll say this: she's young. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, I want to give her credit there. I am still tripping. She's the youngest fighter on the roster. I talked to her in July, and um, very sweet, very nice. But the thing that tripped me out is like. I feel like I sat next to a Macy Barber, like, all through my first two years of college. Like, it's just, it, it's like, you're supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to be lighting up the octagon and becoming one of the top up-and-comers in the sport of mixed martial arts already at that age. You're still supposed to be figuring it out. But, respectfully, that's her thing, right? She's kind of... This is her goal. She set herself up. She's saying the right things. She's fighting the right way. She's doing the right things. She's joined a good camp. She ticks a lot of boxes, is my point. And to, you know, she talks about being youngest champion. She's setting the goals. I like it. I think that, you know, that's more fighters should talk that way when you're on a roll young because you get the attention. You kind of start building yourself up. You put the ball in your own court to deliver for yourself. Nothing wrong with that, especially you're trying to make things happen in your career. Yeah, um, and Dana White loves her, so that's that's rare. <laughs> and so she's got to milk that for all it's worth. No, definitely, right? Um, in terms of the fight, uh, great style. I think that she had exactly the performance she needed to build herself up. Jillian was supposed to be like, hey, I know I'm not as popular as Macy, but I'm just as good and I'm about to show up and show out. That didn't happen, and I think that that's very impressive for Macy. I think that speaks to her preparation for the fight and how she's developing. Um, stylistically, once again, she is 20. This isn't the final product. She's going to continue to evolve. you got to imagine she goes to the gym, and her skills are going to get a little, you know, just more and more tuned up as the years go on, certainly at, before she hits that mark of the time. That makes it very interesting because now we have, I'm going to call it a high school beef with Macy and Paige Van Zandt that I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Let me ask you, what do you think about uh, Macy and Paige and this little saga that they got going on? It's weird, man. I'm a bit like annoyed, disappointed by Macy's approach here. I like her. I like her energy in general, but calling out, you know, so calling out Paige is a great idea, right? It makes perfect sense. A little bit like Mickey Gall calling out Sage Northcutt, but attacking her for being overhyped by the UFC and not doing enough with it. Uh, it's just, that's a stretch, man. I mean, she's still a big name and her recent performances have been okay, but she's also been injured for a long time. Like that arm, recurring arm break thing is no joke, right? So I feel, I feel like it's unfair to dismiss that, to not acknowledge that. No one can question her toughness. Like we've seen it. For, you know, whatever people might think of her bubbly personality and her looks, like, when she's in there, she's a brawler going after the, you know, she's a dog on the bone, on a bow after going after the bone, just like anybody else. Like, you can't not say that. So, that makes me wonder, like, is okay, is this approach by Barber, it kind of reeks of, like, phoniness, like, is this legit, does she really believe all the things she's saying, you know, is she taking the easy road to self-promotion? It's a little bit of a cheap shot, I think. That's how that's how it looks to me. And it's probably going to work. You know, the UFC probably will feed them to each other, maybe not right away. 
well, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It just doesn't seem sincere. And so I do like Paige's response, opening the door to anyone at 115, 125, except Barber. Um, you know, it is the fight game, right? We want a good scrap. We want a good beef. But this just feels a little manufactured, and I don't like the energy behind it. But let's see how it shakes out. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with you. Part <laughs> of me is very disappointed that Paige dyed her hair because I feel like, you know, you have classic rivalries. Striker versus Grappler, Ali, Frazier. We almost had Blonde versus Brunette, and we <laughs> lost it. I'm disappointed. Um, no, but um, in, in all honesty, I get where Paige is coming from. I get where Macy is at. My only thing about this is that if you're Paige Van Zant, there's not really too many people making the kind of noise that Macy is. If you're Paige, I mean, who are you looking at? Montana De La Rosa, great fighter, great contender. I would say, though, Montana's the one with more to gain than Paige in that fight. And meanwhile, if Paige stops Macy, I feel like that jumps her past a couple of people. I think that right now Paige is at the mid-tier. I think you want to see her fight a couple more names in there before we talk, you know, before we even start even mentioning Valentina Shevchenko. So I feel like Macy is actually not a bad fight for her. And I think that just business-wise makes sense. Now, Macy, with all that going on, um, it feels very high school. You know, the whole, well, I'm blocking and you're DMing the husband. I'm like, if Macy was legit, when you talk about sliding into a DM, it's a different context when I say it. You know, sliding into DMs is something you do and you're hoping it goes well for you or you hope that you know, they don't share what you said. The Macy thing is just like, oh my gosh, this is, um, this is being silly. But I like Macy's approach because when you look at it, Paige is only 25. Five years ago, Macy, sorry, Paige was the Macy Barber. One of the youngest, if not the youngest on the roster at the time. And she was winning fights. Everyone liked her. Dana White loved her attitude. She got so many opportunities. Macy kind of wants to be like, hey, I'm going to do what you couldn't, and I'm going to be that person. Now, injuries and all that are obviously a factor. You brought that up. But when I look at it, I just like this fight from so many different angles. Stylistically, I think they match up very well with each other. I think that Paige can brawl with Macy. But I also think that May sorry, Paige's grappling is a big problem for Macy Barber. People kind of equate popularity with great striking. If I'm being honest, I think that Paige is a way better grappler than she is striker. And I think that's a great test for someone like Macy Barber at this stage. And Macy can, sorry, Paige can hold her own on the feet. So I like the beef. I think that this is kind of fun. I just feel like, I'll also say this. Paige is also in a catch-22. If you are avoiding Macy, suddenly the word fear looks like it's coming up. And then, you know, I get it. If you take the fight, you're kind of, you're, you know, you're turning your back on everything you've just been saying. It's not an easy situation for Paige, but that's all on Macy Barber having made the right moves. So if you ask me, that's just smart business on Macy. She takes round one on that front. Yeah, it's definitely going to work in her favor. And again, I don't mind, like the, the call out makes perfect sense. It's the, the, 
the feeling to me that she doesn't really totally believe what she's saying. But whatever the case is, she's trying to build herself up, and it's going to be a good scrap. And now you got you got Paige hot under a uh, hot under the collar there. So yeah, it's a strategic move that will be successful. I'm not crazy about it, but I'll still watch the fight. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's the point, right? That's how that's UFC gets us. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, Natalie. Um, I'm going to call it Inhaler Gate, like a lot of people. Uh, first off, Greg Hardy's fight with uh, Sosely. Um, a lot of lather, rinse, repeat. It was clear that he was using his reach to keep, um, keep him on the outside. And Sosely was never going to be able to catch up to him with the strategy. Uh, every time he was the aggressor, Greg stopped him from coming in. Every time he tried to counter, Greg was too tall, too long. He was able to just slide out very comfortably, it looked like. So the fight itself, um, you know, very straightforward. The inhaler situation. Um, I th- I've heard a, I heard what Greg said, Dana said. I actually am going to say Dana had it very bluntly. It's not just on Greg. It is all the people around him. How do you not know that that is against the rules? And uh, the whole USADA thing, USADA is not a factor. Uh, USADA approved has nothing to do with the commission. You know, USADA and all that, that's all completely different stuff on a night in, night out basis. There are multiple things in terms of this big corporation. It's not just, oh, USADA overall. No, there's clearly, there's different commissions and businesses and companies and just, authorities in this for a reason so the fact that you know he's saying well it was approved now when they say he asked the commission guy my question is who is this person he asked was it only that guy in the cage in the heat of battle before the third round of a co-main event or something you know the coco as karen bryant says it was that the only person and then the second he just yeah oh pulls out the inhaler that to me is like well no, you know, when you're talking about what it could mean for your career, you got to check, you know, you got to cover a lot more bases before you're doing something like that. So um, if you're going to put it on Greg, you've got to put it on the team and everybody else who let him, you know, there's several people around him watching him take that inhaler. It's on a lot of people, you know, very bluntly. Yeah, um, I mean, somebody hands to it. him, so... Did you have anything to talk about that part before we talk about the the booking, obviously? Well, yes. I mean, it's it's on everyone in his corner. He didn't have it in his pocket. Somebody had to pull it out of their pocket. Someone had to think it was okay to bring it from the locker room to the cage um, and not bother to ask about using it before they left the locker room. It's just like, oh, boy, hand to face, you know, like, really? (laughs) Um, But, I mean... He got his comeuppance immediately, like instant karma. So no one, it wasn't lost on anyone and it got resolved um, quickly. So you'll never make that mistake again. And anyone else who was thinking of taking an inhaler to the cage won't do it again. Won't do it either. Um, can we use inhalers while we do this podcast? We, I get winded sometimes. I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm commission approved. So yeah, you can. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> You know what, Um, so obviously the big thing about Greg Hardy, I don't think you have to ask how most people feel about Greg Hardy, for sure. 
I think one thing that has also been made clear is how the UFC feels about Greg Hardy. And I think that's exactly why he got the fight. So, you know, let's go to MMA news. Dos Santos has a leg infection. He is out. Greg Hardy has been booked now to take Alexander Volkanovsky in a little less now than two and a half weeks. Um, when you talk about Greg Hardy, it, his history, uh, you know, we could do a whole nother podcast on that, him being in UFC and all that. I think to me, though, the big thing about it is that similar to Colby Covington, people are tuning in. Whether it's to see him get knocked out, people watch the videos, people leave comments, even if they're all to say they hope to see him get knocked out. How is popularity, how is star power determined? Ratings, engagement on social media, which obviously is a very big part of sports in 2019. And in all honesty, you talk about Greg Hardy, the people will come out even if it's just to say they hope to see him go to sleep. That kind of ratings, that kind of reaction is everything UFC is trying to get. Whether you want to see them win, whether you want to see them lose, the fact is the fact that you get someone to care enough about seeing a guy get it is exactly why Greg Hardy is going to be the first fighter, I think, to fight five times in the calendar year, I believe is the status that has been given. So that's exactly what we're seeing in terms of, you know, how the booking came together. I saw Francis Ngannou's tweet. I felt like that was a great fight, and Francis has been wanting to. Um, You know, Greg Hardy is not out of shape yet coming off a fight, so maybe that helps, but... I think also this is a great setup for Volkanovsky. Uh, yes. No, sorry. Alexander Volkov. My bad. I was like, I'm messing that up. <laughs> there's, a, you know, there's a lot of guys on the roster and I don't look at notes all the time, people. Bear with me. But Alexander Volkov, he gets the fight. Um, honestly, if you, when I'm looking at it, this is a very simple fight for Volkov. Height, reach, similar to the Derek Lewis fight. Greg Hardy is a very powerful athlete. You're talking about 25 minutes to land that big shot. There, it is not as one-sided in that way. I think that what, how do you fight a technical fighter? You force a brawl. Greg Hardy has the physical ability to do that. This is a very interesting fight. I see how it came together. I think that that's not hard to understand. And I think if you're Volkov, you have a great opportunity in front of you that maybe you didn't when you were fighting Dos Santos. What are your thoughts, Natalie? For, firstly, I, yeah, I agree with you. It would have been really cool to, to let Ngannou take that fight. I guess I guess the UFC wants to save him for a pay-per-view, which makes sense. Uh, but sometimes I wish they would be a little less corporate with their matchmaking. If the man wants to fight, let him fight. Uh, that, that would just be a great story. Okay, but as for Greg Hardy, um, props to him for stepping up. It's a win-win on his uh, on his on his side because if he he'll get credit for raising his hand regardless of the outcome. I hope that if it goes the distance that he doesn't get so winded that the fight gets boring. But otherwise, you know, we're still getting a we're still getting what uh, what has the potential to be a, a good fight. I'm not terribly mad at it. No, I think it's a great one stylistically. I think that Greg poses a lot of problems for Volkov. Um, Volkov, I think that this is a huge fight in terms of reestablishing himself in the heavyweight division. I'd argue that if he wins this one, he's right behind Nganu for the next shot at the heavyweight title, which 
I feel like there's a reason we haven't seen movement there. You know, I feel like, you know, it's about to be November. UFC can start announcing next year now. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm wondering if they're not just going to have a crazy, like, right after the, you know, maybe the same night as the BMF next week, we're going to get, like, three main events, three pay-per-views going into March. I think that, you know, we're kind of waiting to see the shoe drop and see what happens. So I think that Volkov is in a great position. Greg Hardy's in a great position if he wins. Uh, you know, win-win. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that could hurt Volkov is if, apart from losing, obviously, is if he gets, if he loses a round, even to Hardy, I think that would that would hurt him. Or if it, if he, if it takes him, you know, if he, if he has to go to decision, I think that would kind of be a little bit of a of a step backwards for him. But also, you know, Hardy's really thick. Like, look at the size of his head. So it's probably really hard to knock him out, but we'll see. We'll see what Volkov has. You like to point that out a lot. <laughs> no. Yeah, because that stuff matters. You gotta look at the at the you know the structure. He doesn't have a peanut. He has a melon up there. Is what you're saying? It's a, he has a huge mandible, big thick head. Like he's a stocky dude. You know, all that stuff matters. It's, uh, you're not wrong. I'm just but you'd be the first <laughs> one to say it's like Gabriel. Look at the size of his head. He's gonna be tough to knock out. I love it. No, it's true. It, it's very true. Um, here's somebody who's got a couple marbles rolling around. Conor McGregor this morning announces he's making his return to MMA. Um, there's an asterisk there. So let's state the facts. First of all, Conor was in Moscow this morning. Um, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, Elena Katritskaya, my friend from Russia, who's a fantastic reporter, um, got great coverage of it. Um, she sent me the video. I've shared it on um, Instagram. Connor says his plan, Connor says for himself, he is fighting January 18th in Las Vegas. Now, Dana White this morning said that there has been no con confirmed booking. They do not have contracts. They do not have opponents. They do not have a venue yet. However, they are looking into it. And they are working on it. So, on the one hand, it's about time. On the other hand, I am aware of a lot of the, you know, uh, legal trouble Connor seems to be in the, uh, recently. I would like to say that clear the immediate before we start talking about January. Prove that everything's okay. Um, but in terms of this... Connor is saying the right things. He laid out a great plan. He wants to fight January. He wants to fight the winner of the BMF. And then he wants to fight the winner of Tony and Habib. That is a very great 2020. I just don't know if he can actually pull it off. Natalie, take it away. Yeah, firstly, I'm glad to see that he's potentially going to be back. This is the closest we've come to him actually being back in the cage in a long time. So that's good. Fingers crossed. All the talk results in an actual booking, either either Cerrone or Gaethje, right? Those are the names floating around, but who knows? We'll, I'll, I'll take anyone at this point. Um, but as far as him looking to the future with Khabib Tony or Masvidal Diaz, I mean, whew, those are those are tough fights. So 
would I love to see? Would everybody love to see those three fights lined up in a row for Conor McGregor? Sure. Would whoever gets the opportunity to fight him be thrilled to get that money? Yeah, of course. The UFC, you know, keep Conor as their top pay-per-view guy. That's also a great a great uh, outcome for them. So there's a lot of win-win-win opportunities here for 2020 with Conor McGregor and the UFC. But uh, but yeah, it's hard to ignore, impossible to ignore the elephant in the room. You know, his the the, the dark news that that comes out uh, around Conor's name, not related to MMA, but the other stuff. You know, usually you would say, "Well, there's smoke, there's fire," but nothing is definitive. It's just um, disconcerting. And so, uh, if I'm the UFC, I'm thinking. Let's book this guy now before anything else comes up or before anything solidifies on the outside world that can't be, you know, that prohibits him from fighting for us. So I, I, I do feel like they're going to they're gonna run with this, this January date and book it. And uh, whoever it is, it's going to be, everyone's going to tune in. And, and, and Connor has now become one of those people like Floyd Mayweather where you tune in because you're still a fan or you tune in because you can't stand him and you can't stand what he's become and you want to see him get beat again. In either case, the key word that you mentioned earlier is engagement, and the guy certainly drives engagement. No, I think that um, you know his popularity is on question. I would say, though, this is probably the most dangerous part of his fighting career because at a certain point, being a star also implies winning. And yeah. if you're talking about that, you're talking about a lot of tough fights going into 2020. Um, for example... Uh, you know, let's just start with BMF. Um, neither Jorge or Diaz is an easy fight for Connor, if you ask me. Even if they stand and bang with him, they don't try to go to the ground with him, which I think is everyone's advantage there. That's a tough fight. If you're talking about, let's say, immediately, uh, Cowboy or Gaethje, both of them great strikers, but also solid ground game. Um, and then Habib and Tony speaks for itself. Connor obviously would love to win all those three fights. All of those are, you know, I would argue that the, there's a lot of, that's an uphill battle going into all of them for Connor McGregor in 2019. People, I think, have figured him out a little bit. He is still as dangerous as ever with his left hand, but, you know, these are tough fights, and that's a sign of how competitive the lightweight division is right now, the welterweight division also. It is not an easy run for Conor McGregor, but I would say this. If they put it together, January just got way more exciting. I will say that. Yeah. Happy New Year. Let's go. Right? Yep. And they, Hey, can you believe it? Your baby will be here in time for his very first Conor McGregor fight. Yep. I'll sit him right down in front of the TV and uh, let him see what the rest of his life will look like because <laughs> we're going to be watching a lot of fights with him. Can you imagine if, like, he's nice and animated in the, like, you know, in his little seat, and then the second the main event rolls around, he's asleep? That would be hilarious. And then it could be like, son, you know, your very first Conor McGregor fight. I remember you were so excited. And then the second he walked out and did the dance, you were out. You fell asleep. Was... But if he can sleep through that, then that's good, because that means he's a good sleeper. So I'll take it. <laughs> This is a very important point. No, but look, I mean, I'm excited if that happens. I think that that, uh, look, MMA is more fun when he's involved. He's, uh, you know, I, I say this a lot. People don't care about all the other fights sometimes. 
But when Connor is fighting, I'm in the barber's chair and they want to ask me, is Connor going to win on Saturday? It's a different game when he's in it. So I think that just makes it more fun for people like us who are, you know, who love MMA so much. Moving on, there's yeah. a lot more announcements. UFC 245 is getting a great double feature in the Bantamweight division. I'm going to group these together. You've got Uriah Faber returning to take on Peter Yan and the Bantamweight debut of Jose Aldo taking on Marlon Moraes. Let's start with Aldo first. What do you think of him making the cut to Bantamweight? Man, this, to me, this is wild news. I mean, what? Like, it seems like too steep of a cut to make, and I can see why he's doing it. He's, he feels he's out of options at 145, but that's tough. I hope I hope his body holds up and he can perform to his liking on fight night. But even that picture that I assume was – I shouldn't assume, but it, it was current. It was sold as current um, of him showing his abs. I mean, already he looks like there's nothing more to give. And he's at 150, I think, was this, what the story said. So, Oh, God. <laughs> damn. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of a, of a body at his age. I mean, he's still young, but, you know, we all know the older you get, the harder it is to make those weight cuts. Aside from that concern, which is a legitimate one and a big one, on paper, we got a heck of a fight. And um, I think because it's his division, the advantage is going to be with Marlon. But... You know, it's a great matchup. The UFC knows how to make these bookings that get people excited. They did it with Weidman. It wasn't the best move in that case, and I hope that doesn't happen to Aldo. But, you know, it's a heck of an introduction to 135. I'll say that. And hopefully he fares better than we've seen some with some other fighters that, that either move up or down and get challenged really aggressively in their first outing. So that's kind of where I am. You know, on paper, it's a good fight, but this weight cut thing is the elephant in the room and we can't ignore it. What are you, uh, what are you thinking here? Oh, I'm so worried about Jose. I mean, let's say bluntly, he's a guy people expected to move up to lightweight because he was too big for 145 and the cut was tough there. Um, uh, here's a little stuff. You don't hear about Aldo doing a lot of stuff like at UFC PI and all that and all their pros over there that really, I mean, if there's one thing they're good at, it is getting people's diet and food and everything right in terms of, you know, their weight cuts. And um, Jose, you know, not to say he doesn't have great resources where he trains, but I almost feel like I want to hear that he's going through a vetted process. He's not just you know, cutting out a few extra things and, you know, just cutting the weight. Um, I am very worried on that. I feel like he's just a very bluntly, very tall, very big athlete. I've said that about Chris Cyborg doing 135. If you look at how tall she is compared to the Ronda Rousey's and other people, she is just a very tall, very big person. 135 is ridiculous. Um, so when you're talking about Jose, oi. Is very, I am concerned. I will say that now. I am concerned because I am a fan of him. Um, in terms of stylistically, I mean, the fight with uh, Marlon, it's got all, that's a great fight. That one headlines a lot of fight cards anywhere. That's a co-main event on a pay-per-view if you want to really sell it. So the fact that they're just kind of being tacked on 
to an already three championship fight card. That's just brilliant. So let's say, you know, optimistically, everything's great. He performs well. That's a great fight. And if you ask me, that one ends the conversation for everybody at 135 in terms of who should fight Henry Cejudo in 2020. I'll say that now. Um, so I love it for all of those reasons. If you're Marlon, this is a huge opportunity also. So great fight, but I'm with you. The weight cut, I get so worried. Uh, Uriah Faber, Peter Yan. That one is very high risk, uh, high risk, high reward for uh, Faber. I feel like he had a great argument for Cejudo going in. But Peter is that guy, um, kind of like Aljamain Sterling, you get by him. You are right there for a title shot, no question. And if you're Peter, I mean, you are you get a chance to knock off a legend. Also, you kind of get, now that Aljamain, uh, I believe it hurt the bicep or the elbow, he now has a great opportunity to get ahead. Whereas I think a lot of people going in said Sterling was the one who would be next if it's going to be at 135. Yeah, I think we have a good fight on our hands here. Faber's riding high. He's out there living his best life with his baby, his new wife. If he wins, I think he'll definitely get that shot at Cejudo because he's just the biggest name in that division. So I'd say the wind is at his back, and he's going he's gonna to do whatever it takes to in the cage to get that win because he can see the writing on the wall there, how, how, how significant a victory would be. Those long, glowing locks are blowing yeah. in the wind, is what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't think he's going to get knocked out. It's not, you know, that doesn't happen to him. So, to me, his chances look pretty good to get a decision against against uh, Peter, Piotr, however you say it, Jan. And, uh, and, yeah, and then I think Cejudo's next. I think it would be that fast and that easy. Oh, my. Slaying them, you know, sold. Yep. <laughs> Hold on, I was I did I got a bad part of the table. I was hoping for that good gavel smack. <laughs> there we go. That was the one I was looking for. Anyway, well, I mean, UFC 245. I mean, that one is shaping up. That is going to be the card of the year. Um, let's just look at that really quick. Um, I mean, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovski, Amanda Nunes, Jermaine Durandamy, Aldo Moraes, Faber Jan. There's still rumors of Robbie Lawler staying on the card, possibly Mike Perry. I mean, dude, that is a pay-per-view, if you ask me. I yeah, mean, that's a Christmas present, you know, come early because, indeed, three. whenever you get the three champ fight cards and, and they actually stick, you know, like we did last November where they all came through, we got to watch them all, it's something else. You know what's crazy is that let's say they get Robbie, that means, you know, five-fight pay-per-view, right? That's what it typically tends to be. I can't imagine differently um, with uh, three championships. That means either Aldo Moraes or the Faber or Robbie Lawler is going to be on the prelims and not a pay-per-view, if you could believe it. That is crazy to me. That's, that's, a, that's a win for the fans, but... Um... But, uh, yeah, there's no buts. I mean, that that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, I don't have a counterpoint. This is brilliant. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> no, but um, look, we have a great weekend coming up for us right here already. So, like I said, three cards, three, um, two Bellator, one UFC. That is almost a three-piece in a soda. 
Um, uh, let's start with UFC Singapore, Damian Maya, Ben Askren. This one, obviously, grapplers, paradise. You have one of the best wrestlers in all of MMA against the, you know, premier jiu-jitsu fighter in MMA. What are your thoughts on the fight? Well, I'll say it is a good thing that I can't sleep much these days because the main card starts at 5 a.m. Pacific. So (laughs) I will be awake. So for that, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm excited, though, because, yeah, you set it up perfectly. Two grapplers. They're really smart fighters, especially Maya. And uh, now they're going to get to test their, like, distinct grappling skills against each other. I always make the Street Fighter comparison with Ken and Ryu, and this is that version, but, like, on the ground. So... We'll see. Maskrin's, you know, whenever you come off of a, a loss, that is embarrassing. You know, there's no there's no denying that. And so quick that you literally didn't have a chance to do anything. You're going to come back to your next fight hungry and determined to win. And so is Askren the kind of guy that's determined to win at any cost, meaning slow and boring? Or is he determined to win in a way that's, that's showy, that makes the highlight reels? That gets him back in the conversation. Um, it's probably the former, but if he can do some something crazy like Masvidal did to him in his own way, that would be cool too. But against Maya, that's very difficult. Yeah, um, for me, with this one, anytime you have two great grapplers like this, it's about the wrestling because they're the person who's going to likely dictate who gets top position. Not that Damien Maya off his back is an easy fight. That is, you know, you're still in the fire. But if you're asking, would you rather be grappling from the top or grappling for the bottom with Maya? Very easy question for just about every grappler in the world. Um, to me, Damien is the better striker. Um, I think that that could be an X factor. He might keep the distance and he might be like, hey, get in on my jab. Get in on the knee. You know, I, I'm ready for you. I know you're going to change levels all night. That could be a question. And then if he gets taken down, there's a lot of comfort there. So I think it's going to be very interesting how they approach it. Do they want to stand a little bit because they feel like maybe that could be how they surprise the other? That's it. But in terms of the fight, you hit all the points. How does Askren look on the return? Maya, he's talked about maybe last year is it. He's only got a couple fights left. This could be one of them. I mean, that's good news all around. I mean, I think a lot of high stakes for a good performance. Remember also, Maya lost the big grappling fight to Jake Shields a couple years ago. I feel like that's the X factor. He kind of wants that one back. He feels like he should have won that one, and he wants to prove it with this one. So I'm very interested to see how he comes out, if he comes out a little more aggressive, because he wants that you know, kind of justice for not getting it done in Brazil a couple years ago. So I think that's it, but uh, I'm going to go Askren. The wrestling gets the job done. What about you? I'm going to pick Maya because I think, yeah, I think the striking abilities will make the difference there. And uh, But I, I think it's going to be a decision. Is it going to be competitive? Like are we going to be, you know, it comes down to the fifth round kind of fight? Um... Yeah, I think I think so. Well, yeah, because I think he'll get the decision. So I think I think it will go the distance. But um, I, I it could get a little boring if they're just kind of like pressed up against the cage for for a for a spell. But hopefully Maya can do uh, can do enough on the feet just to to make to make the difference for himself, so that even if he gets held down, 
he's uh he's racking up points on the feet. Natalie Z, are you complaining about the great grappling aspect of mixed martial arts? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I mean, it can be tough when you get pumped up and then they're just in the clinch, right? Yeah, we but, get, I know, get I, it. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> the thing is that some fighters can make that exciting. Like, for, to me, Daniel Cormier is always exciting. Even when he holds you against the cage, he's doing something, he's punching you, he's he makes it really interesting. And then there's some fighters that, that don't, aren't as creative. And so there is a way to, to still make an exciting MMA fight against the cage. I hope these guys can do that. Great point. Great point. Okay, so we are split in Singapore. Let's see how we do in Connecticut. So two fight cards. Um, I would argue that Friday has the better lineup with Beck Rawlings and uh, Nick Newell. Wait, yeah, Beck Rawlings, Jake Hager. I think Nick Newell is Saturday with Paul Daly. But so Frank Miroy Nelson is there. That's a good rematch from a couple years ago in UFC. But the big one, the end of the welterweight Grand Prix, Rory McDonald, Douglas Lima, million dollars, the bragging rights, the rematch. What are your thoughts on the fight? So I think Rory's going to have his, his work cut out for him. I expect Lima to start fast, aggressive. I think he wants to finish this once and for all. He wants his belt back. He wants revenge against Rory. He's coming off that spectacular knockout against MVP. So all the stars are aligned for him. Um, I don't see this going the distance. I, I think he'll get it done. I don't. I don't need to say. You know, I'll, I'll save my call for when we're done talking about it. But but yeah, I think he's going to go all in. He's going to go very aggressive. I feel that way too. I really feel like it's such a weird thing because when you watch Lima, that's what makes Rory's performance against him last January so incredible is that he really stifled him. But then you watch what Lima was able to do to Koreshkov against uh, MVP, against a lot of guys in his career and these heavy hitters. It's like, dude, the fact that Rory really neutralized him for a lot of rounds of that fight was crazy. So to me, that's it. I think that Lima, if anything, he wants to do damage early. I think he wants to chop down that leg quickly. I think he wants to get in Rory's face. He wants to force Rory to fight the better defensive fight, if that's how it's going to go down. Rory doesn't get... I get it. He's had a very tough 2019. The, you know, he was off the loss to Musasi, and then this year, the John Fitch fight, he kind of got through it by the skin of his teeth. Neiman Gracie, they spent 25 minutes on the feet, and he couldn't finish him. So I get people saying that they feel like Rory isn't, you know, the sword isn't as sharp. It isn't cutting through guys like he used to. He's a very multifaceted mixed martial artist. He's still arguably one of the best fighters on the entire Bellator roster. One of the best welterweights in the world, period. UFC, one, Bellator. He's got a lot of weapons. The ground game remains the X factor. If he could get on top of Douglas and control him, that makes this a very interesting fight. On the feet, just get in and out, slip in with his range. That all makes it a good fight, so I'm very interested to see that one. But, uh, I don't know. Natalie, go ahead and go first. Let me see how I feel after you make your pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Lima, TKO, third round. That's that's where I see this going. Just gets the opening and puts him to sleep? No, well, just beats him until the ref calls it. So so not a straight cold knockout, but, but causes enough damage that... that Rory's needs to be saved. 
Yeah. All right, I got you. I got you. Oh, man. We'll find out next week. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to go Rory McDonald. Unanimous decision again. Outlasts. A, just survives the war with Lima um, for the million dollars and just reminds everybody why he's the man in Bellator. Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally possible. We've seen him do that. That's the kind of fighter he is. And uh, especially these in these times. And somehow I have almost forgot about the million dollars. So that's pretty excellent motivation to uh, to, to stay evasive and hang in there to get that win. Yeah, I promise that's, you they haven't forgotten about the million yeah, dollars. No, no. <laughs> well, and then can I say, apart from this side note, Sayada Wad is on the card. I totally missed that news. Like he just fought two weeks ago, yep. three weeks ago, and now he's fighting at welterweight against um, Paul Daly. Paul Daly, keepers. Oh my gosh, that is jinkies. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, I, I am. That that's a great Saturday, Paul Daly, and then you have a uh, Newell on that one. I don't know, but Beck Rawlings and Hager on Friday just kind of seals the deal for me. I just feel like that's going to be the more fun. Fr- that's going to be the more fun fight night at the end of it. If Douglas and Rory, you know, end quick. So yeah, but great weekend in Bellator. Friday night, Saturday night. Like Natalie brought up, Singapore will end early, so you get to get your coffee, watch Damien and Ben Askren, then do your thing. Then Saturday night, you get to watch Rory and Douglas Lima. So. I'm excited for it. It's going to be another good weekend of mixed martial arts. Next week, drumroll please. It is finally here. UFC 244, the BMF Championship, Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal. Um, Maybe I will finally have the BFF Championship for Natalie, but buddy, what are your thoughts? We've talked about it a lot. How's it like to finally be here? Wow, it's it's that that day is going to be like one of the craziest days of my life for multiple reasons, but specifically because two great fights that night, uh, you know, boxing world, we got Canelo Kovalev, which is insane. And then in the MMA world, we have this, this great lineup or this great matchup with Masvidal Diaz. I can't wait to just dig into it, to just watch some of their fights and, and see where where I land. I mean, talk about making a tough call. That's going to be a tough one to make to come next week when we talk again. Um, but geez, man, I, I hope that they can can break that top five pay per view uh, UFC pay per view number and get in there and and maybe knock out not personal to Connor, but just you know because I think Dave Diaz would. I mean, he's already part of it because of one of the Connor fights. But it would be great if the two of those guys could get one of those top five pay per view slots. Well, I think he's got two Connor fights that are in the top five. I guess, so, yeah, he does. Yeah. So he's already in there, but but it would be great for Jorge too. Then, I mean, to me, uh, I think that the the only bad thing about this fight is, let's say Jorge or Nate catches him in like the first forty seconds. That's like my one thing with these fights. It's like there's so many things to enjoy, and then someone just gets knocked out running into something early, and I'm like, dang. You know, like the, we still got half the pizza in the box, man. What are we going to do now? <laughs> That's how I feel about it. So, um, I mean, there's so much to enjoy. They're going to go out there. They're going to, you know, not literally, but they will die before they go down. They will have to be, you know, beat down before they quit. That's what makes this fight so good. 
Both have so many weapons. Both men aren't going to back down. Both men have agreed not to back down pretty much. So I love it in that way. I think it's going to be so much fun. Uh, the Johnny Walker fight, we, everyone's had their eyes on it. Caitlin Chukagian, great fighter. I love when she's on a card. Um, the Canelo Kovalev on the fight weekend, it's going to be good. My only thing, I'll say this, Natalie. I hope they find some beef to have with each other this week. I kind of want them to have a reason to say a little bit extra. I just want to see, you know, get me over the top. That's what I have to say about that. That's what I feel. Yeah, I mean, it's fair because of how underwhelming that press conference was to want something, some back and forth. As long as it's not manufactured, it's not phony, which is in neither of their natures to do anything like that. Then yeah, a little bit, a little bit of back and forth, like, hey, I'm going to beat you. No, I'm going to beat you. Like even that. <laughs> Let's start there. For real, uh, that's all I want. Yeah, that's, that's all I'm it. asking. But yeah, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. We will obviously have that. I plan to have a lot of bonus content for that one coming up. So definitely look out to my channels and social media for that. Natalie, big fight weekend. Where can fans find you all week to talk about it? I'm on Twitter at NatalieZamudio underscore. And guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and we'll be back next week.